Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. I'm Gavin Costigan and this month we're discussing digital health data and in particular how it applies in the NHS in the UK. Uh, to discuss that with me is Dr Natalie Banner from Understanding Patient Data at the Wellcome Trust. Natalie, um, overall what do the public think about sharing their health data? Thanks, Gavin. It's a really good question. And I think one of the things that we know from public attitudes research that's been done to date is that if there is a really good, clear public benefit to using health data, people are quite happy for this to be used uh, for purposes beyond their own care. So, for example, if there's uh, service planning and commissioning um, and research purposes that have a clear public interest and a benefit coming back to patients um, and the NHS, they tend to be quite happy with the idea of that data being used. Um, so it's those sorts of purposes that I think people would tend to be happy to support. But we have to note that most of the attitudes research that's been done to date has been quite sort of generic when it comes to exploring um, views of the, of the UK public. So we don't know, for example, if uh, people from particular demographics um, or people who have particular experiences in the healthcare system might have different views and potentially slightly different concerns. So who's doing this data? What data do we have? Well, the sorts of data we're talking about are things like, well, let's start from um, primary care data. When you go to your GP surgery um, and you're receiving, you're receiving care from your GP, information about your interactions, so your medication, your symptoms, any diagnoses, test results, those sorts of things, will all be held in your electronic patient record. And most of the country now does have um, records held electronically rather than paper format. So that information all goes into your GP record. Um, also, if you go to a hospital and you have, say, specialist care, information will also be added to your record there as well. So, for example, you know, test results, scans, those sorts of things. Um, so this sorts of, the data we're talking about is data that's about you, about your health care and about your health care provision. So that can be um, the, the medications that you're on, treatments you're receiving, um, if you've got a particular diagnosis, what the pathway has been through the system, um, those sorts of things. So that's the kind of data that we're talking about. And you said that we only know some of what people think about it. Um, how do we know what we know already and what more do we need to find out? Well, there have been quite a few studies that have been done over the past few years exploring people's views about sharing health data. Um, and I think one of the challenges there is that we talk about sharing data as though people are um, actively passing this on, as though they have a very clear mechanism of control for this. But in actual fact, it's important to note that a lot of the time this is data that is routinely collected in your health record that could be used for other purposes without you necessarily providing active consent for that. Um, and so the attitudes research that's been done um, has varied. Some of it has focused on this routinely collected data that could be used for purposes other than your care without you necessarily providing active consent. Other attitudes research has focused on things like clinical trials where people are actively having to uh, say yes before the data could be collected and used. So it really does vary um, but there's been lots of research done ranging from surveys asking people how would you feel about um, the NHS using your health data um, or how would you feel about commercial organisations such as pharmaceutical companies using the data that's collected in your health record. Um, so everything from surveys, just answering those simple questions,
sessions right through to um, focus groups, workshops, and more recently we've seen a real um, uh, upswing in people doing deliberative engagement, which is much more about getting really under the skin of questions um, and, and an in-depth exploration with people. Uh, so you can really get an opportunity to explore their views, how they'd make trade-offs, what they prioritise, and those deliberative forms of engagement are much richer but they're necessarily done on a much smaller scale. So sure. typically you'd only have sort of between 20 and 60 people in a deliberative process, whereas surveys, of course, you can do across a far wider range of people. So looking at the data that we do have, uh, you talked uh, a little bit about the kinds of things that people are happy to support. What are the things that people are not happy to support? What are the concerns that people have? Well, there are lots of concerns that people raise, um, and, and the, these come through both through sort of survey methodologies and, and through deliberative work. Um, probably the most obvious one will be about around privacy. So uh, if this information is collected in your health record, of course, it, it, it's attached to you. It's data about you. Now, the vast majority of research uses of this data would not have identifying information about you attached to it. So things like your name, your date of birth would be removed, address, those sorts of things. But the fact is, because this information is quite rich um, and increasingly it you know, might contain information about uh, something that's really intrinsically identifying such as your genetic information um, it's very very hard to provide a guarantee that this data could not ever be traced back to you if it was potentially linked with other sources of data so privacy certainly is a concern that people have they want to have the assurance that this data is going to be um, handled uh, securely uh, try and minimize the risk of any breaches but also they're worried about it being being identified being identified back to them um, and potentially used for purposes that they would really disapprove of. Those sorts of uses tend to be things like um, insurance purposes um, and also marketing. People are very, very resistant to the idea of uh, patient data being used for kind of marketing or targeting advertising and those sorts of things. Um, so the concerns certainly around privacy, concerns around the sorts of uses to which this data could be put, um, and certainly concerns about you know, whether it could be misused, what, what hands could it end up in and how could it potentially be used either to um, discriminate against or, or target individuals or more broadly thinking about societal concerns, um, you know, whether, uh, what kinds of organisations might be able to use this data and could they use it sort of for public good or could they use it primarily for profit? And the concerns around, um, around excessive profit certainly come through in most of the attitudes research that's been done, that, that, that risk of exploitation of the data. Okay. And presumably people feel some ownership of the data that's about them but do they really own their own data that's a really good question uh, and i think that in a lot of the debates that have been happening in this space this notion of ownership does come up um, quite frequently Strictly speaking, in terms of data protection law, um, you don't sort of own data. You can be a data controller, um, in which case you have the, the legal responsibilities for ensuring its safety and security and use. You could be a processor, which means that you are, you know, on behalf of a data controller, you might be processing and managing that data. Or you're a data subject, as in you are the person who, whom the data is about. But ownership is not really a notion that has much traction in law. Data isn't like property. It's not like a car or a house or, or a pen that I could, I, if I sell that to 
you, you then own it and I don't have it anymore. Um, data can be copied. Uh, so, so more than one person can, can access it. So the idea of ownership doesn't really hold up when it comes to data. We tend to think more in terms of choice and control. So what responsibilities do people have when they're managing and looking after the data? What levels of choice or control might an individual have over data about them? I think if we think in those terms rather than going down the, the, the line of ownership, it helps us understand what the key things are that we're really interested in ensuring, especially when it comes to people's rights and interests. So I can understand with, uh, with choice and control uh, as a data subject, mm -hmm. what my rights would be. What about data quality? Do I have uh, any rights or should I have any, any role in checking the quality of my own data? I think in principle, absolutely. I mean, that there's no point in, uh, in in trying to ensure that we can get as much data as possible to use for, for research and to help improve the health service if that data is not good quality or if that data is indeed inaccurate. And in actual fact, it, it has been um, for, for several years now, uh, a, there's been a real push to try and ensure that patients can have access to their own records, um, in part because we know that in some cases there are inaccuracies and there are mistakes in that. And there's huge opportunity to improve the quality of data if patients can access their own information. It seems like a no-brainer. Um, but there are some uh, challenges within the system towards ensuring and enabling this, not least uh, trying to ensure that the data is in a format that people people can read um, and, and, and can get hold of. Um, and also there are questions around liabilities and safeguarding. So sometimes you, know, you have to be very careful over who can actually see that information and, and, and what they might be able to do with it. But those questions around data quality, my own view is that um, if patients had better access to their own information, um, then that would actually be a real spur to driving better data quality because they could help provide that better quality. They could provide more accurate information. They could also potentially provide more granular um, and high quality information. For example, if they're tracking their own symptoms and their own conditions. So I think those issues around data quality really have to be resolved with patients um, and seen as, a, as something that can actually really help them take more um, control and responsibility over their own conditions as well. But presumably um, there is a potential danger that patients either deliberately or accidentally uh, reduce the quality of the mm. data about themselves uh, and we'd need to have some understanding of, of what we would do. Certainly. The, the, so there need to be kind of mechanisms, processes in place to ensure that if, if patients have um, right access to uh, to their data, so not just being able to read, say, their notes and, and um, information about them, but also to be able to to annotate or edit those. Absolutely, have, there have to be sort of mechanisms, controls in place, ideally sort of audits so that you can see who's edited what and how and so on. Um, but I think the principle still holds, um, you know, the, the, this this idea of kind of nothing, nothing about me without me. Um, <laughs> You know, I think for patients, it's, there's a lot of patients that we speak to who are very passionate about this and feel that, you know, you can talk as much as you like about uh, about research and service planning and health improvements and so on. And, you know, in principle, I support data from my record being used for all that. But look, until I can get hold of that information myself and use it for myself and ensure that my health professionals have up to date, accurate information, I don't really see why anyone else should get hold of it. And I think that's, that's absolutely a fair challenge for the system. Um, and, and it throws up the fact that actually integrating health data is difficult mm -hmm. and it has many, many different types of data that need to come together and that ensuring data quality across 
all of that is also difficult. Uh, and we've heard from others about, uh, you know, almost a whole new profession mm. of data cleansers mm -hmm. uh, coming together. Um, across the whole data uh, aspect, are people uh, concerned about the quality of data in general? Are they aware that there are data quality issues in general? So I think coming from a sort of a, a patient and public perspective, generally not. You know, these these issues are not things that are most salient in people's minds. It's not something that they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I, I don't think these questions around data quality are necessarily things that um, most people would kind of recognise or, or, or think of being, um, strictly speaking, very important. But actually, when you do deliberative work on this and you explain you know, how health data is collected, the fact that there are multiple systems all speaking a slightly different different language they, they don't necessarily link up um, people are horrified that what how how have we got to this point where we've got all these different systems and we've got this real challenge around data quality they expect it to be collected and handled and managed in a consistent coherent way um, and so even if they're not familiar with the kind of nuances of these uh, these sorts of data quality and interoperability issues they're very very surprised that we haven't managed to um, create a system that uh, does actually bring this data together in a kind of coherent and meaningful way so assuming that we are going to start creating that system and we being the UK in some way mm. or other. Um, I can understand the, the technical challenges of that and the collaboration and so on. Um, do we need new regulations, new policies or are the existing laws and things that we have already in place? That I think is a is a really um, a really challenging uh, area and, and a very good question because at the moment it feels as though there's a bit of a patchwork going on. Um, we do have you know we have data protection laws um, and we have we have regulations around the use uh, of data, um, for example, around you know managing confidential data. Um, but actually, in practice, it looks like there's a really sort of fragmented system across the board. Partly because uh, NHS trusts, NHS organisations are quite highly devolved. There's quite a lot of fragmentation in the NHS. We've already talked about the fact there are lots and lots of different systems sure. in operation. One thing we haven't even mentioned is social care. You know, if we're supposed to be trying to create more integrated care records and factoring in social care, that's a whole other area of complexity. Um, and that is not even within necessarily the health system at the moment. So you have local authorities and social care providers that might collect data in slightly different ways. So right now it feels as though we have uh, lots and lots of different systems all with slightly different uh, approaches to managing and handling data. And even though we're all under the same you know, data protection law, uh, the interpretations of, of, of that might be slightly different. So, for example, you know, under what basis could you use personal data under a public interest provision? You know, different trusts, for example, might interpret that in a slightly different way. They might put slightly different access mechanisms in place or require a slightly different governance procedure um, that asks slightly different questions from you know, the, the hospital down the road. And I think while we have that fragmentation, it makes it very, very difficult from the perspective of, of patient and public trust to say, look, here's what the rules are. Everyone, everyone is, is playing by the same rules in this system. Um, and we can you know, provide certain uh, guarantees about the sorts of purposes that won't ever be allowed. And we can provide um, you know, information about what the rules are governing how this data is used and who gets a say and how it's decided but at the moment it feels like it, it is too fragmented I don't necessarily think we need new laws in this space um, but we certainly need more consistent and coherent uh, guidelines and policies that have teeth that really mean that um, NHS organisations have to comply
comply, um, or there will be sanctions and there will be there will be penalties for not adhering to this uh, more comprehensive framework. So this is the difficult question. Mm. Starting from where we are now, mm-hmm. how do we get there? How do we move in that direction of integrating these things together mm. whilst not either damaging what we already have that's working in, in part or indeed alienating vast numbers of people? I think there's a couple, there's a couple of things that matter here. Um, firstly, we need a mentality of, of, of move slower and don't break things. And I know that that goes against a lot of um, uh, a lot of people working in the data science and technology worlds, um, because the things that we can break are really, really fundamental. They're around trust, they're around uh, patient care, they're around the operation of the health system. So I think it's worth uh, ensuring that if we are putting new policies, guidance, systems, governance in place, that we do it in a way that we're sure um, we've thought through any potential consequences, and that certainly applies to you know for, to, to some of the technology that's required um, to implement the infrastructure. So you know, taking the time to get it right, I think, really matters. Um, trying to join up the brilliant local work that's been done, I think, is very very important because there are really great examples of local initiatives that are working hard to integrate their care records. Um, and actually, if we could join those initiatives up rather than just imposing something from the top down and saying this is how we're doing it. Um, then I think we could we could get those those benefits far quicker. And the third thing I would say is leadership. This space really needs um, some positive champions and ambassadors to say, you know what, here are the great benefits if we can do this right, and here are the ways that we're going to hold ourselves to account uh, for ensuring we develop a better system for managing and using data. And, and having that real, that real leadership around um, getting data right, I think, is vital uh, if we're going to try and bring this together across the whole country. Okay, well, let's be as positive as we Mm. can about meeting those challenges and look into a crystal ball and um, set it at an appropriate time. I normally say five years, Mm -hmm. but you said move slowly. So (laughs) we can put it at eight years if you like. Um, What will be different? What will look different if we get this right? So, okay, well, I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to to try and put this at five years. Um, I think that the things that will look very different are uh, patients will have far better routine access to their own health information. Whether that's on their smartphone or device or wearable, they will be not only seeing the information um, that that clinicians are collecting about them, um, for example, referral letters and so on, but their test results, and that will also include uh, information that they may be generating and uploading, for example, if they have wearables and, and those sorts of things. So I think the patient uh, level of access to and visibility of data, I think in five years, should be, and I'd like it to be, much, much better than it is now. Um, I also think we will have a system of uh, really great initiatives across the country focusing on specialised areas. And at the moment, there are a few, they're, they're beginning to develop, but, if, but they ha- we haven't really sort of seen the outcomes yet. Um, and I think that in five years' time, we will have um, some really great sort of centres of expertise on managing, um, you know, cancer data, uh, certain different kinds of conditions and diseases. I think heart disease is another area. Uh, imaging, particularly things like retinal imaging. Um, so we're going to have some real clusters of excellence uh, that really are making brilliant use of, of patient data and linking it up better and showing the benefits that can come um, to the health system, come back into the health system through those better uses. I don't think it'll be universal, I don't think it'll be across the board, and I don't think um, better use of data will have had an impact right across the system in every kind of service. But I think in five years' time, we'll be beginning to see in some specialised areas um, really great advances that hopefully will then um, be able to sort of spread across the system and, 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 and 
and work in other areas uh, in the years to come. It certainly sounds like an exciting period of time. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. Uh, Natalie, thank you very much. Thanks very much, Gavin. You're listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. You can find us on soundcloud.com, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you found this podcast. Or you can check out further details about the Foundation at www.foundation.org.uk.